Hey, 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 how's it going, Gold Street Garden family? Thank you for joining us for another podcast episode. This is Pastor Dominic, and I just want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be able to pour into your lives to reveal Jesus in greater measure to you personally. There is nothing more exhilarating than the daily rediscovery of Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful moment we get to share when we share it looking at the Lamb of God. We just want to let you know that if you want more info on the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. You can follow us on all the main social media platforms to stay up to date on all of what's going on in our community. We love you all and we pray that you are impacted deeply and greatly by today's episode and teaching. We love you all. God bless. Thank you all so much. Thank you, worship team. Love. So that's the little guy. Um, so, so amazing that he was born on the day of Pentecost. So, I mean, the fact that uh, that happened, the, the implications was is so big in our hearts that uh, we actually, when we found out the due date, that was the first thing I said is the due date was the 22nd. And I said, well, Pentecost is the 23rd. So he's coming the 23rd. We, we just knew that that was going to take place. And early, the funny thing was, is late Saturday night, my wife, you know, said she started feeling some contractions, but I had a few obligations that night. I was like, honey, you sure if I, if I, if I, I should, I should go away. She's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. And then she texts me later that evening when I had a few things going on. She texts me. She's like, funny thing, after you left, <laughs> she texts me this. She said, funny thing, after you left, I started timing the contractions, and they were 10 minutes apart. So she was starting to realize that. And I call her right away. She doesn't pick up the phone. This is, so all this is going through my mind, and then she texts me a few minutes later and says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't pick up a mopping. So she's like, she's, she's in full nesting mode. She's like, you know, she's mopping the house and stuff, and I'm like, what are you doing? And so I called her, I get home that night, and then everything went amazing. She's doing phenomenal. She's, and the baby are perfectly healthy. Uh, baby weighed eight pounds and eight ounces, and my wife did a, a full natural birth, so it was phenomenal. In fact, she'll, this will be funny. She's probably watching, but the, <laughs> when we were in the, the birthing pool, and as we were there, she was getting closer and closer, and the midwife said, it's time to go to a different position, and she was just encouraging us to go to, for her to lay on a bed. And when we got, as we were getting to the bed, Jackie saw that there was a salt shaker from earlier when she was doing something. There was a salt shaker on the nightstand, and I left the, the lid to it open, and she's about to give birth to it. And she's, as she's making her way to the bed, 
in between contractions. She says, oh, I got I to gotta put the lid back on the saw shaker. We're like, what are you doing right now? But the reason I say that is because it's so, it's so funny to think of how Jackie is just like making sure all the things are in line, even in the middle of, of all of this happening. And when, when the baby came forth, it was the most, it was the most glorious thing. The thing I want to remind everybody of, of being a part of that moment, and I'm sure there's many people that have been a part of that, that moment. When the baby came forth, you know, my wife started yelling. She started saying, I can't do it anymore. And as any women know what that's, well, you see there, when uh, some women, they, now the thing that's amazing is when my wife finally said she can't do it anymore, the baby was already out. Now I want you to see something here that's so spiritual that the Bible talks about in Romans 8. In fact, turn there real quick. Romans 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And it goes on to say, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. You see, the earth is at a place where it is, it is awaiting for us to reveal the kingdom of God, waiting for us to reveal. And there's so many times that you probably in your day-to-day where you're just like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know. And you don't realize that what the midwife told my wife when she said, I can't do it anymore, she said, just reach down and feel your baby. And it was in that moment that when my wife reached down, she realized that what she thought she couldn't do, she had already done. And what we don't realize is that Jesus has already done everything for us. And when we don't feel like it, we have to tap into the reality that it's already done and we're tapping into something that has already been fully accomplished. And the reason I'm even here tonight <laughs> is because I, I, my wife and I prayerfully just sought the Lord, and I really believe there's a dynamite word that I want to release to you all tonight. So please just give your undivided attention. I want to just share a few things. We've been talking about humility, honor, and serving. And I want to talk about serving tonight because of what God really has for us all. Did you need to switch? Thanks. Is that uh, when we talk about serving the Lord, when I was holding my, my son brave, and I'm holding him, I started praying over him. I started praying prayers like this. You're going to be a great preacher. I started praying prayers just over him. You're going to be so athletic. You're going to be a musician. Everybody's going to be jealous of you. <laughs> I was like, I was like I, I'm like, I'm praying. I'm praying all these things over him that I want him to do. And I just heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me and said, that's awesome. And this is an inward knowing, but I started hearing the Holy Spirit just say, pray 
that he'll always look to God first. And you know, it's so simple, but we, we miss this sometimes, that when we're praying, we're asking God for the things we really want to see happen, the things we really want to do, when really the biggest thing is we need to work on the framework of our conviction. That, that do we really just want people to be successful in trades, or do we want people, do we want the next generation, do we want our families that whenever they're going through a moment of indecision, they immediately look to Jesus? Now, I know, I, I know this seems elementary, but I need you to come with me on this journey that Matthew 6.33 makes a statement that a lot of us know very well. What does it say? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his, what, righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, there's a marriage here between this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Is that sound like there's two things involved here, right? There's a, there's a marriage, a synergy. Seek first the kingdom of God. When we seek first the kingdom, what are we really seeking? We're seeking the king, right? So when you seek first the kingdom, you're seeking how you can serve the king. But it doesn't stop there. It says seek his righteousness as well. Now, what's so important about that is that the righteousness of God, this is how I was looking at this, that if you hear this, when you seek his kingdom, you discover how to serve the king. Let me say it again. When you seek his kingdom, you discover how to serve the king. When you seek his righteousness, you discover how the king serves you. I want to say it again. When you seek his kingdom, you discover how to serve the king. When you seek his righteousness, you discover how the king serves you. Why is this important that God doesn't just want us to seek the kingdom of God, but he also wants us to seek his righteousness? It's because any serving you do outside of knowing who you are to him is all in vain. It's all futile. It's all something that you'll, you'll, you'll just look at the end of your life and you'll hear people say, Lord, Lord. But he said, depart from me. I never knew you because you, you, you served what you thought, but you didn't serve understanding you're a son, understanding you're a daughter. And when we encounter, when we encounter the presence of God, what, is, what did Jesus come as? He came as the son of God to what? To model the family of God. He came back to restore that who, who is God. He's our father. If you don't encounter God as your father, you'll never allow your heart to transform into a royal son or daughter. That we encounter God to become children of God. That that's his goal, that when we come into the kingdom, we're not trying to earn a spot. He's showing us that Jesus revealed our identity in him. When Jesus came, he didn't perform a single miracle until he heard this from the Father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Did you know that that's how God thinks of you? That, how, that when I hold my little son in my arms, there's, there's nothing 
that he can do wrong. In fact, you know, you would think crying all throughout the night would be something wrong. You know, you'd be like, you'd be like, come on, you know, what's going on? Shalom, 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 you know, <laughs> like what's the deal? You know, you want the peace of God to be wrong, but there's, when I look at him, what do I see? I see, I see myself. I see the blessing of God. I see life. And when God sees you, that's what he really sees. And I want you to understand this because in serving, I really believe that there's, there's, a, there's a huge problem with serving in the church and in the kingdom that we need to go from obligation to passion. There's so many people that serve out of obligation, but they don't serve out of passion. That, oh, yeah, I'll just punch my church card, or I'll just punch that I helped out with this, I did my good deed. But you see, once you encounter the love of a father, you don't serve out of obligation. It's no longer a chore to read the word of God. It's a date. It's romantic. It changes everything. Do you see where I'm going? That, that seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the king and how you can serve him. But seek his righteousness because it's in his righteousness. I want to give you a few verses if you're taking notes. Some of these you might know very well. But when we, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's important that we see that Luke 17, 20 through 21, Jesus literally says this, and I'll turn there for you, but you can just take the note. When we talk about the kingdom, it says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. When you seek first the kingdom, you're seeking first who God says you are. You're seeking who he says he is, and a relationship is being built. The church gets caught up in mechanics instead of intimacy, instead of relationship with Jesus. When we have well, we have to turn from mechanical to relational. We have to allow us to realize that Jesus came to restore relationship. This, I've said this so many times. When Jesus was on the cross, when he breathed his last breath, do you know the very first thing that happened when he breathed his last breath? The veil was torn. Why would the veil be torn? Why would that be the first thing that, that God does? It's because he wanted to show that I've made a way for my children to enter my presence unashamed. You see, Jesus didn't die for your sin. He died for you. There's a difference. Because so many times people think he just died for my sin. No, he died to show you how valuable you are to him. He stood in your place. Jesus came as you so you could live unto the Father through his relationship. Isn't that amazing? That, that this would change your prayer life. It would change the way you live because you would be living in a relationship with God rather than trying to find out where you're at on this road. When you discover relationship with God, you discover purpose, you discover everything. But how do we, what am I talking about? How do we seek first the kingdom? Oh, well, it says it's within you, but also in Romans 14, 17, 
it says this. It says that, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we seek first the kingdom, who are we seeking? The Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in you because where does the Holy Spirit dwell when you become born again? In you. We've said this over and over. It is impossible to live for the Lord in this hour without a radical relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have to lean on him for everything. Too, we get too confident in methods too quickly. We have to learn to be dependent. A dear friend of mine, when he got born again, radically saved, we were having a conversation one time, and he was like, I just wake up every day, and I asked, I asked the Holy Spirit to help me tie my shoes. I asked the Holy Spirit to help me brush my teeth. I asked the whole, and you know, I was like, that's so, you know, trivial, like it's so this, but what it, what it does is it, it creates a, a dependency factor, not like a, not, not that you can't move or go, it's just the fact that constantly understanding that giving God room to help you grow in any avenue of life. Did you know God can speak to you while you're brushing your teeth? That you know God can speak to you while you're tying your shoes. But if you become too confident in what you're good at or what you always do, you leave God out of it because you become habitually living life instead of living his life. You see, we have to become so dependent upon him because in that dependency, we find. So what I want to share with you just for a few moments, can everybody say storm-proof? This is what I want to talk about when it comes to serving. Did you know there's only one kingdom that's stormproof? There's only one kingdom that is stormproof. And sometimes I think the church is more busy learning how to rebuke the storm instead of endure the storm. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll go read the scripture to find out, but what I, I want you to see is that God gets so much glory when you're unhindered by the commotion of life, when you're unmoved by things. Did you know his kingdom cannot be shaken? So why are we so easily shaken when it comes to certain things in life that I, I, I really want to see the bride of Christ really rise up to a place where the enemy, and I, let me read this to you. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, in verse 46, it says this, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? <laughs> let me read that again. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? I want to remind you that he's crowned Lord of your life through the submission of, through your submission to his word. That he's crowned Lord of your life when you submit to his word. Is that, does is, is everybody understand that? That the word of God has to be the focal point of everything in your life. And when you keep reading, what does it say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently 
the flood arose and, the, and it's against that house and it could not shake for it was founded upon the rock. Now, does this say that if you build, what, if you do exactly what God says, does this say that the storm will not come? It doesn't even say if it comes. It says when it comes. Now, we know we have the victory over sickness, amen? Can everybody say amen to that? That we know that Jesus bore that, but when it comes to persecution, when it comes, would, would we all agree that things are getting more and more hostile in the world? And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get the church caught up in the arguments of society instead of continuing to build off of what he said because the storm is coming. Now, I know that this isn't, this isn't happy preaching, but what I want you to see is that we have the victory because God is faithful, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you don't realize he's faithful until you stand and continue to build what he told you to build, and as you continue to do what he says, which is his word, you will see that the test, time will always testify that God is faithful. Do you understand that? That in the moment, it may seem like he's not faithful. It might seem like he's not there. But when you continue to stand on the word, has anybody, has anybody ever heard of freeze tag before? <laughs> has anybody ever heard of tag? Or, you know, what was the one thing that would happen with that is that there was a base, right? You would have a base. And if you stayed on base, you couldn't get tagged. But what does the enemy want to do? He wants to get you off base by saying, natty, natty, boo-boo, you're a chicken, you're this. But when you stand on the base you see the enemy wants to get you out of standing but there's something powerful about standing do you know how many times the bible says to stand fast do you know what stand fast is it, it's a military term that means that even if all of hell is coming against you even if the armies are coming against you you are going to stand because you know that what you're standing for is worth more than anything else. So when the Bible says to stand fast, it's a command to say that God is faithful and that I'm not going to react to the enemy. I'm not going to react to what's going on. Do you know at any moment when Jesus was going to the cross, he could have reacted to the mockery. He could have reacted to his beard being stripped from his face, but he set a tone for us as the church to realize we don't have to banter with the world. We just have to keep building what he said. We have to keep doing what he says. And when you do what he says, you will manifest. The scripture, the scriptures of God are the paint and your life is the brush, and your obedience is the brush stroke that paints heaven on the canvas of earth. That the scripture is the paint, and your life is the brush, and your obedience is the brush stroke that paints heaven onto the canvas of earth. That when we just simply obey, so many times we come to church and we're trying to learn how to understand to obey instead of just know him and do what he says. Because it's, it's, no longer, it's no longer faith if you have to understand why to obey. Do you know, if, if, if a child is running out into the middle of the street, do you have time to explain to the child, hey, if you keep running, that big vehicle is, weighs a lot more than you and it's going at this speed? No, you just need the child to what? obey. Even if you have to pull the child and you pull 
his arm out of his socket or whatever, whatever it takes to, to bring the obedience of that moment. And we have to learn that God is so strategic. He's down to the detail that he chose you to be alive in this hour and you have a task. Did you know that? That your life has an influence and a task and you have to be obedient to that. So what does it say in verse 49? But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Against with the stream and beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. You see, just doing what God says. Did you know every word of God is an invitation to know him more? Every word of God is an invitation to know him more. When you read a scripture and it says that by his stripes we are healed in Isaiah, did you know that that's a scripture inviting you into the reality of knowing him as healer? When you read a scripture that says that he is our comforter, it says that in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, that he will teach you all things and bring to all things your remembrance. That's a, that's a scripture that's inviting you into the reality of knowing him in that. Did you know when you read the word, God is inviting you into a reality of knowing him? Amen? He wants you to know him. Because knowing him is the only way you're going to be able to trust him. You see, you can memorize scripture in your head and that's awesome, and it's very good because we want to meditate on the word day and night. But it has to, the word of God has to become so real in your heart that you truly know him. Now, when we were saying this before, what does it say in Matthew 6.33 again? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when it says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, did you know that everything will get added unto you? Everything you need in life is completely tied to what you're seeking. Did you know when you wake up in the morning, you have to make a decision to what? Seek first the kingdom. And what did we say earlier? That the kingdom of God is within you. So if you're constantly seeking based off feelings, if you're constantly seeking based off what the news says, if you're constantly seeking based off what your favorite minister has to say or what that, you have to make sure you're seeking first the kingdom and everything. And how do you seek first the kingdom? We said it. It's by finding how can I serve the king with my life? How can I, how can, what gifts and talents, Lord, have you placed in my life that I can serve you. You called me to be a son and a daughter to reveal your kingdom around me and it's through your righteousness. So we said the kingdom and we said righteousness. Now what's one of the things about righteousness? Well in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is one of my favorite scriptures. If you don't know this, it's one to memorize. It says that for he, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I don't know if you, sometimes we hear the word righteousness and it, it can go over our head. Righteousness means that you are in right standing with God. Amen? That means that when God sees you, he doesn't see who you were. He sees who he made you to be. 
Isn't that amazing? He sees Christ in you. Now, with that being said, if Jesus could be made sin without ever once sinning, how much more could you be made righteous without doing everything right? Isn't that amazing that it's a supernatural work that you become, you are made righteous? I don't think we grab this fully. But when you realize that you've been made the righteousness of God, it should change everything about you. It should change the way you pray because that's why it says in Hebrews, therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and help in a time of need. That's why when you, when you are at a place that when you call upon the Lord, did you know he hears you just like we see with Jesus, but he's our elder brother that, that showed us the righteousness of God, that we are in right standing, Amen. So when we read the scriptures, when you know the, the word of God and the heart of God are inseparable, amen, that knowing God's word is actually learning his heart. And when you know the heart of God, you're able to serve with all your heart. Because knowing the heart of God, Jesus put his whole heart into the cross. That's why your whole heart can be restored. Is that there was not one moment that he second-guessed or wondered. He, he fulfilled and served to the highest degree. So a couple scriptures as we were reading. That when you see... In Luke, 7, or Luke 6, when we read, I want to read that again and then go into Luke 7. But it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Do you ever read scripture and find, do you ever have those uh, ow moments? You know what I'm talking about? When you read a scripture like, ow, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like that scripture convicts me. Amen. Did you know sometimes we're so, quick to, to look at other people's sin to justify our own. And we have to realize that if you're going to justify your sin based off comparison rather than allow the Lord to do the inward work in your heart, that when I read scripture, when I talk to the Lord, I, I, I love to pray the way the psalmist said, Lord, reveal any wicked way in me. Search my heart, O Lord revealed to me. Did you know if you pray prayers like that, the Lord will begin to point, pinpoint things? Like you, you shouldn't talk to your wife that way. You shouldn't think about that person that way. You shouldn't act that way. You shouldn't be late all the time. You see, you know, the Lord will start pinpointing things to reveal his faithfulness through you. But when it says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house. Everybody say, building a house. That every time you obey the word, you are seeing the kingdom get built in your life. Isn't that amazing? That should, like if God speaks to you, that when you're reading the word and you see the scripture where it says love your, love your neighbor and you go out of your way to love people that day like you haven't before, you are going to see Jesus manifested more in your life. The kingdom is going to get manifested because he's going to see that you're being a good steward of the things you're learning, the things that you're growing. And I think we can all admit 
our flesh, our natural man doesn't like to be in the word all the time. Am I the only one that I have to sometimes tell my mind, tell, no, we will get in here because soon as I do, that's where the peace of God comes. That's where the joy of the Lord comes. This book is, needs to be the highest priority in your life. The, the Bible is the word of God. It's his heart. It sh we, should, we should just gravitate towards this thing. Amen? That soon as things get a little crazy in life, this should be the immediate place we look, the immediate place we go to find his voice. Because so many times people are believing for a word from God, but they won't just get into the book with all of his word. Why would God give you a specific word if you won't even honor the words he's already given you? So many people are like, I got to go to a conference or I got to go, I got to go receive a word. It just shows you don't value the word he's given you. I'm not, I'm not against. I, we, we, we have altars here where we, I truly believe in the gifts of the spirit and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. But nothing, nothing you hear, word of wisdom or word of knowledge, should ever be contrary to what's in this book. Did you know revivals have taken place and revivals fade because they get away from the book? They get away from the things of God. They start getting caught up in experiences. But you see, even John, who had experiences, he brought it all back to the word. And it was all, when he wrote the book of Revelation, you know why it's called the book of Revelation? Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, and who is Jesus? He's the word made flesh. The word of God gets watered down so much that sometimes we have to, we, we have to understand that we are serving the king of kings and this is how the kingdom operates. It's through this book. And I know that sometimes you're like, well, I've kind of heard this before, but you, it, you see, here, let me put this simple. If a chef gives you the instructions on how to bake a cake, what, and you follow those instructions, what's going to happen? You're going to get the cake. Well, if you follow the instructions of the word of God, you'll get God. So if you follow all the ingredients to bake a cake, you get a cake. If you follow the word of God, you'll get God. That should make you so excited. You all should be in this room saying, if I can just start doing more with this book, says, God, can you give me the grace to just honor your word that soon as I see a scripture, allow me the, the wisdom to, to operate in it immediately. This is why when you feel promptings in your heart to minister to someone at a gas station or to love on somebody at church, go up and encourage them. Soon as you do that, the Lord is going to begin to entrust you with more and more because he sees that you're quick to obey. When Nick brought it up earlier, you know when Peter walked on the water? It's so amazing that what did Peter say as soon as he saw Jesus? He said, if that's really you, tell me to come. Did you know that Peter actually initiated walking on the water? That Jesus didn't just tell him to come. Peter said, if that's you. Did you know you can pray prayers like that? That, Father, if this is you, tell me to come. And what will happen? The peace of God will lead you into that, and you'll begin to walk. You'll begin to go forward in that. Let me give you a few verses on, on the importance of the word. But once again, everybody say stormproof. 
you got to get this in your heart that the storm, the storm, so many times people focus so much on the storm that Jesus, did you know the only time it's documented in scripture that Jesus was sleeping was during a storm? Check your Bibles. The only time Jesus is found sleeping, I'm not saying that he walked around and never slept, <laughs> but I'm saying the only time scriptures document him sleeping is during a storm. And I want to be watchful because sometimes we teach that story that Jesus was rebuking the disciples for not rebuking the storm when really Jesus was sleeping through the storm. Could Jesus have actually been rebuking the disciples for making a big deal out of it? So, so, so quickly we can come up with a whole teaching and a whole theology about rebuking things instead of understanding that God has equipped you. Remember when God came to Paul, and what did he say to Paul about the thorn? He, Paul said, Lord, remove this messenger of Satan that comes to buffet me. He says, get rid of it. And what does the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. Now, I, I want you to know that there's an enemy that's real and that there's warfare that's involved with that, but if you focus on doing what he says and not focus on what the enemy is doing, you will always be positioned to win. The church spends more time focusing on what the enemy is doing than just obeying God today. What is God telling me to do today? As a good soldier, we shouldn't be so concerned with what everyone else is doing and what we should just say, God, what, what is my part today? What if we all did that every day? What is my part today? You know, you're all here tonight because you value the word of God. Isn't that amazing? That we're here tonight saying that we value the word of God. And what does the Bible say? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what is faith? What is faith? It is, it's, it's your revelation of who God is. Sometimes people think faith is a spiritual muscle. Faith is a revelation of who God is. Oh, you didn't get that because you didn't have enough faith. No, well, actually, faith is knowing who God is, and that's why we need to reveal who God is through our lives, through when we're serving. You see, when the storm subsides, if, if his kingdom was built in your life, when the storms of the world subside, people will look at your life and they will see God because they'll see that you didn't build your own kingdom. You didn't build what everybody else was building. You built the word. You built what he said. So when all the storms subside, you can say, that's my God. That's who he is. I was completely unhindered. Your house, it's like a tsunami went through your neighborhood and your house is just standing there because you built your house on the word of God. Amen. It's so important that we get this in our hearts and we understand. So can I show you that in, when it says that the man building his house, he dug and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. Remember when Moses asked God to reveal his glory? He said, Lord, I just, I just want to see your glory. Where did, where did God place Moses? He placed him in the cleft of the rock. Because when you're standing on the rock of the word, 
God reveals his goodness. He reveals who Christ is to you through that. And verse 49, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. How many people have seen others get touched by the power of God, have seen others come to know God in some way, and now they're so far away from the things of God. Why is that? It's because they heard something and they didn't act on it. It's so easy for somebody to get hands laid on them and to have an emotional moment. But it's something totally different that when you encounter him, when you truly encounter him, all of a sudden, this soil in your heart. You see, I'm always looking, me personally, when I'm looking for people that the Lord wants me to impart more into, to share more of things that the Lord's speaking to me, like really important to people, I'm looking for good soil. Because that's the parable of the sower. That looking for a heart that's ready to accept and receive what God has. You see, people can come into church services or come to things and they come analytically. They come trying to uh, judge and try to get all these things. But it's when somebody just says, I just really want to know him. I'm just here to know him. I'm just here to help in any way for other people to see what he's done for me, what he's done in my life. You let me, let me share this. I know I'm kind of all over the place tonight, but I, I'm running on very little sleep. So it's like, but the one thing I want, I love the story with the, the woman that was caught in the, the act of adultery in John chapter 8. Do you know this woman got caught in the act of adultery? That means that the people that caught her must have been peeping toms, right? <laughs> how, do you, how does a woman get caught in the act of adultery if there's not Pharisees that are uh, tuning into live pornography? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they caught the woman in the act of adultery and they dragged the woman in the middle of where Jesus is preaching. And the reason I bring this story up is because so, there's a truth that's so important that when, when this woman is there, Jesus it, that all the Pharisees, they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law says to stone her, what do you say? Did you know that the way that they tempt God is they tempted him with his kindness? They wanted to back him in a corner because they saw that every time Jesus walked into the, could you imagine walking with Jesus? We have the Holy Spirit in us and we need to truly uh, understand that, but I, I really want you all to have such an idea that if Jesus walked into the middle of your situation, would he be as critical of you as you think he is? Would he be this, or would he actually get on your lip? This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law said to stone her, and Jesus is is there, and you know how he responds is he 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 begins to to kneel down. And, and right on the ground, because he's slow to speak, right? He doesn't react right away. I bet Jesus was fuming a little bit, right? <laughs> he, 
there was probably a part of him that was like, you know, these jerks, but, uh, you know, he can't because he's Jesus. He can't say that. But, but in this moment, he then stands up and he says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And then from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. But you know what's amazing is the woman, she stood there the whole time. She never tried to run away. She never this because you know what she was learning? She was learning how to be stormproof. And hear me out. She knew that if she stayed in the presence of God, that every enemy, every accuser would leave. She learned something that day that when in your mind you have all these thoughts, the enemy lying to you, saying that you did this, this is from your past. Actually, we just caught you doing this a few minutes ago. This is this. If you would just stay in the presence of God and begin to remind yourself of who he says that you are, that you remind yourself that he became sin for me, that I could be in right standing with God, that, Lord, I repent of this moment, but I know if I just stand here that I am storm proof that my accusers will will have to leave and I'll be left standing in the presence of my savior when you remain standing that's where everything changes you know I was talking with a few people recently with Philippians 121 you know what Paul says I call this the indestructible mindset of a believer you know what he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what that's pretty much Paul saying, devil make my day. You know why? Because he's saying if I'm going to live, everything I do is going to be Jesus. And if I die, if I get martyred, guess what? I'm just going to be with Jesus. So enemy, no matter what you do, and that's why when Jesus died on the cross, he removed the fear of death. Because that's what people fear the most, is they fear what happens if they die. You'll be with Jesus. So that's what we have to have in our heart. Now, does God want us all to fulfill our high callings in Christ? Yes, he does. But we have to have this in our heart, that to have this mindset that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? So when it comes to the word, let me read a few scriptures you put in your notes. And Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. I know a lot of us know these scriptures, but I just felt led to review these with you all. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful. Did you know the word of God? It's a living book. When you read it, it reads you. When you study it, you think you're studying it, but it's actually studying you. It's, it's living and breathing, and it's causing things to shift on the inside of you. We said it last week that the longer you stay exposed to the word, the more the lies get exposed, that you've believed, and and all these different things. I can't tell you that when I found out God was good, it changed everything. I know that some people would laugh at that, but a lot of people don't believe God is just good. They believe that he's after them or they believe that he's mad at them or all these things. But just understanding that alone will change everything. But the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Do you know what the word of God does? Is it divides the way you feel from what, he, what is reality in the kingdom. And that is so important that when you are going crazy, the word of God, no matter what you think, it will shift your heart to truly see the way that he sees. And then the joints and marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And my favorite part of this that gets left out 
is in verse 13, it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. That nothing's hidden from the word. It reveals every little thing. And then in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every word you read was handpicked by the King of Kings to be engrafted from eternity into our hands to have an impact on our heart. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I know I'm just reading scripture to you, but do you, do you understand how important it is that we realize that this book, you have to think the world itself is just pitch black in the spiritual realm. And that this book is a flashlight. That everything is dark in the spiritual realm, but when you walk around with this, it's like, oh, I see. I can see. I can see why. I can see why this is happening. I see that we're getting closer. Oh, I can see that the skies are getting ready to part. I can see I can see this brings hope. It brings something that we, we don't have unless we're in it every day. You can't just come to the word once in a while and just hope things are okay. The word of God needs to be in your heart every day. Is this helping anybody? I know this is where we're just going. I want to give you those stand verses now. Galatians 5.1 says this. Stand fast. Everyone say that. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Why would it say that? It's saying that you have to stand fast in the liberty from what Christ set you free. Because if you don't keep standing, you'll be entangled by the world again. We all can probably admit there's been times that you just feel you could be drifting a little bit in an area. You just start drifting a little bit. You start drifting and you have to remind yourself, I have to stand. I have to stand even, and you have to stand for your family. You have to, in this generation, we don't realize, you know, even sometimes when I'm looking up scripture, on the internet, I'm so watchful sometimes when I do searches because there are so many quacks out there that are trying to pervert scripture, pervert what scripture says, trying to say. I can even tell you today when I'm, when I'm reading about the centurion servant, which we will get to later, that there are, there are actually teachings now saying that Jesus was healing the centurion servant's male lover in the search engine. This is what I'm telling you. This is where we're at in culture, that people are just constantly trying to manipulate Scripture. And if you don't stand on what this Bible says, if you don't stand when the storm comes, you'll begin to tolerate more of the enemy's lies. And when you tolerate more of the enemy's lies, you don't realize how much you are allowing hell to just break into your home and allow Satan to run lies in your head. When you know the truth, when you know the real, you can, you can identify the smell of the enemy from so far away, you can say that's deception. We will not tolerate that. But you have to stand fast. Everyone say that again, stand fast. Ephesians 6, and let's, I know Nick read this, we were flowing. If you go there, this is where we'll, um, we'll close. If we go to Ephesians 6, 
Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let's read the armor of God again. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what? Okay, so if we're supposed to stand, it's telling us how to stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So many people just think that you can just combat the enemy just based off Christian catchphrases or just based off understanding a a thing, but you have to know the word of God. You have to know his character to truly be able to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to what? Stand. Once again, to stand. This is all about, are you able to stand in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of all this, are you going to be left standing? Have you built something that is going to be standing? And then in verse 14, what does it say? Stand, therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, is everybody, would you realize that when it says above all, whatever he says next might be the most important thing? Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench all, everyone say all, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, I want to pause right there. It says to take what? That the shield of right, well, the shield of faith above all, but the breastplate of righteousness, okay? Did you know a breastplate, what does a breastplate cover? Your heart your heart. This is why it's so important you understand your righteousness in Christ because knowing your righteousness in Christ is what guards your heart. So soon as you don't know you're in right standing with God, your heart is vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. But this is even more, is that what's in front of the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, which is your revelation of God. So you actually have two lines of defense guarding your heart, your revelation of who God is and your revelation of who Christ is because faith is your revelation of who you believe God is and your righteousness is who Christ is. So if you don't understand you're righteous, your heart is vulnerable. And if you don't know who God is, you're just open up to attack. This is how you stand. You know, they've done research that the, 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 the shield of faith in this in particular story, it's not just some little rinky-dink shield. It's like a huge barricade. It's something that you could actually sip lemonade and sit in a lawn chair. <laughs> That's how big this shield is. That when you know who God is, you stand, therefore, in that. And the final verses, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14, it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Philippians 4, 1, therefore, my beloved, my, and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, 
beloved. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This kingdom that we serve, that we go after, that we have to understand that when we just listen to God and obey, if I can encourage anyone here tonight, that you're only going to be able to stand for the things of God in this hour is if you know him. I'm not talking about just know things about him, just kind of know what to say. You're going to have to know him. And that's time alone with him in the secret place. What is the secret place? The secret place is when you are able to dial in the fact that you can get alone with God. The Bible says that Jesus will get alone with God early in the morning before anything happened, that he would get so alone with him and the reality of him being with God was everything. That I find myself praying in the spirit often even when, I, when I've been holding my son at home, I just walk around praying in the spirit, just praying over his life, praying. And you have to understand that knowing him is everything. I can't express that enough. I know it seems like it's almost so cliche around here because we talk about it, but you, you have to see that at any moment when a storm of the world comes. I don't like saying the storms of life because God is life. <laughs> the storms of the world when things come, knowing where you stand is when the storm comes, what is still standing? What is still standing? It'll only be your obedience to the Lord. The things of just saying that God told you to be here tonight. God said to do this and when you do it this Saturday, the outreach, that coming to see what God is doing in our city and doing that. We are just getting started, amen. So what I feel in my heart right now is if everyone could close their eyes. You see, our willingness to serve in the kingdom reveals our surrender unto the king. 